You're listening to a 3CR podcast created in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au. Evil minds that plot destruction. Sorcerer of death construction. In the fields of bodies burning. Machine keeps turning Death and hatred to mankind Poisoning their brainwashed mind Welcome to the Anarchist World This Week broadcast across Australia on the National Community Radio Satellite. Listen to the Anarchist World This Week, Australia's sacred cow slaughterhouse. Listen to analysis of local, national and international events. This to analysis you'll never hear anywhere else. To the Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia via the Community Radio Network. My name's Joseph Fiscan. I'm hosting today's program. Yes, you lucky people outside of the range of Community Radio 3CR in Melbourne. Uh, last week, unfortunately, the people who listen to Community Radio 3CR have to put up with me asking for money to keep the station on air so you, in the rest of Australia, could listen to the Anarchist World this week, all those radio stations, community radio stations that pick up the Anarchist World this week. Now, as I was saying before this program just began, that we're a little bit short on um, donations. We'd like to get to ten grand. we are $233 short. So if during the program you are able to donate... You can ring 039419 8377 or you can go to 3cr.org.au forward slash donate. And I'm specifically directing this at all our listeners around the country who didn't have to put up with Kelly and myself last week when we did the 3CR radio phone. You are actually uh, were listening to a, another pre-recorded program. This program is live. It's not pre-recorded. And if you wonder what Anarchy is all about, Anarchist society is a voluntary, non-hierarchical society based on the creation of political and social structures which are based on equal decision-making power and where wealth is held in common. And why these two central tenets to anarchism? Very simple. Anarchism is about creating a society without rulers. That's right, without rulers. What gives rulers the ability to determine the lives of billions of people as we see around the world every day? Very simple inequalities in power and wealth. So the anarchist struggle is the struggle to devolve power, that's share power, and the struggle to hold wealth in common. Simple concepts which human beings have been striving for since the beginning of humanity. Since the very beginning of humanity, we have been struggling with that. And what we have been able to do with civilization, technological revolutions, We've been able to concentrate power and wealth into fewer and fewer and fewer hands. And we can thank social media and all the other innovations which have allowed a small number of individuals to have that control over us. So if you're involved in the struggle to share power and share wealth, irrespective of what you call yourself... I've got some bad news for you and some good news for you. You're an anarchist. So, now, what's been happening in the world today, not just the uh, 3CR radio phone? Look, I, 
I'm going to talk about a few things today, and I think they're, well, I think they're important, and it's not the type of things you normally hear on the corporate-owned media and the Government Guild at ABC, well, maybe a little bit on the Government Guild at ABC, but not on the corporate-owned media, and, uh, you know, we like to think of ourselves as, you know, pretty intelligent, caring, sharing people who have rights. You know, we like to look at the Chinese Communist Party and the Chinese and the North Koreans and the Russians and somehow we think that we're better than them. You know, as far as, I'm not talking about as far as culture is concerned or food or anything like that, but, well, Russian food, well, I won't go down that pathway. But, uh, you know, we think we've got rights. You think you have rights, don't you? You think you've got the right to freedom of speech, freedom of association, freedom of movement. You think you have rights. You think you have constitutional rights. So what's the Constitution? The Constitution is a simple concept. It's the document which limits the power that Parliament is able to exercise over the people. And the High Court of Australia is the court which interprets the Constitution if there are disagreements about what is written in the Constitution. And I have to laugh. Well, I don't laugh, I actually cry. When I hear people who are marginalised, ostracised, minorities tell me, well, we have rights in this country. We have constitutional rights. Well, they never use the word constitution, but they say we have rights. And I say to them, Look, have you ever read the Australian Constitution? And they say, no. Then I say, it's a very small document. Read it. Have a look at it. And tell me what rights are enshrined in the Australian Constitution. Now, as far as the liberal democracies, the parliamentary democracies, the Western world are concerned, now you may find this very, very, very hard to believe, but we have fewer rights than even the British do who don't even have a constitution. People talk to me about the Magna Carta and the fact that we have all these rights. Well, you have no rights apart from the right to freedom of religion under the Australian Constitution. So let's go through it step by step. I mean, it's all very well for me to say you've no rights. All right, so you think you have the right to strike. You hear unions talking about the right to strike. We have the right to strike. We have the right to remove our labour in order to improve our conditions, our wages. Now, interestingly, over the last 40 years, the percentage of wealth which has moved into the investors' hands in relation to the percentage of wealth which has moved into the hands of the people who do the work to create the profit for the investors has been inverted. In the 70s, if you invested a dollar and your investment was successful, one third, about 33, 34% uh, cents in that dollar, would come back to you as profit and around 66, 67 cents would go into the pockets of those people who did the work in order to create the profit. In 2021, it's the exact reverse. 
And it's the exact reverse. What it, I mean is that if, you, if you're an investor, if I'm an investor, if I've got disposable income, which I've never had the pleasure of having, but if I had disposable income and I invested in something, I'd expect a 66, 67 cent return for every dollar I invested and 33, 34 cents would go into the pocket of the people who actually made that profit. That's the workers. So why is it, why, what has happened in the last 40 years to reverse this? And it's very simple. Workers in this country do not have the right to strike. What we've seen over the past 40 years is a whole litany of legislation go through Parliament, which has removed the right to strike, the right to remove your labour. And if you look at the laws that are in place, and I ask you to look at those laws, you can only strike during an enterprise bargaining agreement period if the Fair Work Commission ticks off on that strike. It's that simple. And that's only a limited time. If you're involved in a wildcat strike, that is a strike which is not endorsed by the Fair Work Commission, you can be jailed. Each person on strike can be jailed, can be uh, fined $10,000 a day. And if the union is involved in a wildcat strike, they can be bankrupted and deregistered. So there is no right to strike. And when we talk about you know, the Chinese and the North Koreans and their inability to strike, well, we have exactly the same problem here. And it gets better. If you're a member of the Construction, Forestry, Mining, Maritime, Energy Unions, Forestry and Energy Unions, you can be jailed for refusing to answer questions about meetings that you've been involved in. Now, I could be a drug importer. I could import a billion dollars worth of meth or a billion dollars worth of heroin, and I have the right to silence. But I don't have the right to silence if I'm a member of the CFMEU and I'm, in, you know, and I'm called in to the Star Chamber to answer questions. And why we find ourselves in this situation? Because in the Australian Constitution, there is no right to strike. Now, I hear every day people telling me they have the right to freedom of speech, that freedom of speech is a right. Well, freedom of speech is not a constitutional right. You're listening to The Anarchist World this week today on your local community radio station, courtesy of Community Radio 3CR in Melbourne, because basically we're irrelevant. What I have to say is irrelevant as far as the authorities are concerned because we pose no threat to the state or parliamentary democracy. Let's be realistic. If there's one thing that happens as you get older is you become realistic, and I'm quite realistic. The only reason I'm allowed to broadcast is because we have minimal, minimal, very minimal impact on people. So you think there is a freedom of speech. 
Well, the High Court of Australia, in its wisdom, 20 years ago was asked that very question. Do Australians have the right to freedom of speech constitutionally? And the High Court of Australia, not me, not little old me, but the High Court of Australia found that there is an implied right to freedom of speech during a parliamentary election campaign. So once the writs are read, there is an implied right to freedom of speech because you can't have parliamentary elections without freedom of speech. You can't gag the candidates. So if you think there is freedom of speech constitutionally, there is no freedom of speech. So if so, why is it so important that these things are incorporated in the Australian Constitution? Well, it's important because if it's not incorporated in the Australian Constitution, a majority in both Houses of Parliament can remove those rights. If it's incorporated in the Australian Constitution, freedom of speech, then that right cannot be removed unless a referendum is held and a majority of Australians and a majority of states agree, voters agree, that we have freedom of speech. It cannot be removed unless a majority say it should be removed. But currently... Because there is no freedom of speech in the Australian Constitution, that means our parliamentary representatives can remove freedom of speech any time they like. Now, if there's one good thing about COVID-19 pandemic, and there are, there is a silver lining to every cloud, it's highlighted to Australians that don't have constitutional rights to freedom of assembly. Now, people as old as myself know this. I mean, people who grew up in the Bielke-Peterson era in Queensland know this because the Bielke-Peterson government 40 years ago passed legislation which made it illegal for more than three people to gather on a street corner. And people were arrested ad nauseum for uh, disobeying that law. So not just about COVID-19, but there is no freedom of assembly. If you think... You have the right, the constitutional right, to assemble and protest. You don't. And what COVID-19 highlighted, as far as the medical emergency was concerned, is that the state can at any time remove that freedom of assembly. I'm not saying that during a medical emergency that we should have freedom of assembly. But the same laws that have been used to curtail freedom of assembly during a medical emergency can also and will be implemented to curtail freedom of assembly if a protest movement begins to destabilise the parliamentary system. Think about it. Freedom of association. You think, or hopefully my listeners don't, but I'm sure many Australians think, they have freedom of association. They can join any group they like. Well, we have legislation that's gone through Parliament 
the support of both the major political parties, which allows the the Minister for Home Security, Minister of Home Security, to ban any organisation he or she wishes, because they may pose a threat to Commonwealth interests. Not a physical threat. I'm not talking about revolution in the streets, people running around with guns. I'm talking about a threat to Commonwealth interests. could be a financial threat. And we're now talking about legislation to stop people asking people not to invest in the fossil fuel industry. And this is very real legislation. So we have a, a situation where one human being can ban an organisation legally, can remove that organisation's assets and it can jail its members for up to 25 years for belonging to that organisation. Again, this occurs because there is no freedom of association concepts within the, in the Australian Constitution. But Joe, you say, but Joe, you say, we do have protections under the Australian Constitution. Well, ask all those Australian citizens who are banned from coming back to Australia during the COVID-19 pandemic and ask all those Australian citizens who are banned from going overseas during this pandemic and ask those women and children in uh, Syria who are banned, Australian citizens who are banned from coming back to Australia because their partners were members of the Islamic State. So if you think citizenship somehow gives you some advantages, it doesn't. And the High Court of Australia found over 20, I think over 30 years ago, the Australian government can indefinitely jail asylum seekers and refugees, although they've committed no crime, indefinitely. And we have seen people jailed indefinitely and continue to be jailed indefinitely. So what type of constitution do we have? And we have to go back to the 1890s when the debate occurred about the Australian constitution. And at that particular point in time, we had six British colonies, six British colonies. And constitutional arrangements were entered into which defined the power of the states in relation to the power of the central government, a federation. And specifically, it was decided not to have a Bill of Rights like the United States Constitution, like the Canadian Constitution, within the Australian Constitution. And now we are paying that price. So there is no constitutional protection for the individual against the arbitrary exercise of state power. None. Nil, zero, zilch. And if we have a majority in both houses of parliament that thinks that, thinks that uh, blue-eyed two-year-olds are a threat to the country, they, being, they can be incarcerated indefinitely without trial under our current constitutional arrangements.
And unless there is a widespread community backlash to that particular piece of legislation, it becomes legislation. There is no protection for minorities in this country. So think about it. You think you have rights? You don't have rights. The only rights we are allowed to exercise are those rights which do not challenge the power of the corporate sector and the power of parliament. We have no other rights but the right to... Now, look at that. Did you hear what just happened? Something fell off the wall. I think somebody's listening. All right, let's push it aside. It's fallen off the wall. Push it aside. If that's all they can do, it doesn't really matter. So, how to overcome the problem? Well, the only way to overcome the problem is to incorporate a Bill of Rights in the Australian Constitution. But unfortunately, in this country, the only people who can put a question to the Australian people in a referendum is Parliament. And the only people who can write that question is Parliament. And if you think it should be the prerogative of Parliament, parliamentarians, representatives who are elected for three years at a federal level and four years at a state level, to be the only ones who can raise questions about what should and should not be in the Constitution and that it is, you cannot have this type of concept of citizens-initiated referendums in a parliamentary democracy. Think again. The people of Switzerland have had this right for years, and many states in the United States of America have this right, where if the people can gain enough signatures to ask for a question to be put to the Australian people, regarding an important issue at that particular point in time, they can bypass Parliament and Parliament has to look, has to pass the legislation in order to put that question to the people. We've had questions that go on to the Swiss people, things like a universal basic income, questions like abolishing the uh, Swiss military and the list goes on and on. Whether they fail or succeed isn't really important. What is important is that the People have the right to raise constitutional issues independent of their parliamentary representatives. So think about it. Think about it. It doesn't take revolution. All it takes is simple parliamentary legislation. But what it means is that we need to break the two-party domination of our parliamentary system. There is a federal election around the corner. It'll be the same old people giving us the same old tired ideas, asking us to vote for them, to give them a signed blank check for the next three to four years. Think about it. Think about it. If you are seriously concerned about the health of parliamentary democracy, if you are seriously concerned about change, and I'm talking about reform, not radical change. Well, I encourage you to look at the PIPSI website. That's Public Interest Before Corporate Interest, pipsi.net. If you're interested, join. If you're not, there's other smaller political parties that uh, are around that need to grow in order to break this two-party monopoly of 
legislation because otherwise it'll be the same legislation over and over and over again. You're listening to The Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia via the Community Radio Network. My name's Joseph Toscano. I'm hosting today's program. That's right, I'm hosting today's program. As I said before, we're not going to look at a lot of issues today, but we're going to look in depth at a few issues. Now, everybody's talking about the housing crisis. Everybody's talking about the housing crisis. Now, on this program over the last few years, our last decade or so, we have been looking at a simple solution to the housing crisis, an exceptionally simple solution which doesn't require radical change or blood in the streets, but a very simple solution to the housing crisis. And I'll tell you why we have a crisis. We have a crisis because we have a housing market which is completely deregulated where there is no competition. It's simple. It's a deregulated market, no competition. So what we have is an escalation in the pricing prices of housing, a fundamental necessity. I won't say a fundamental right. You don't have any financial fundamental rights in this country. You don't have a fundamental right to a roof over your head. You don't have a fundamental right to food. You don't have a fundamental right to freedom of association. You don't have a fundamental right to freedom of speech. You don't have a fundamental right to freedom of assembly. So housing has now become an investor's mecca. It has been become an investor's gold mine. And those that are in the market are happy, and those that are not in the market, normally younger people, are unhappy. And I'll tell you why it's a break on productivity. That's right, I'm using the magic word productivity. Why is it a break on productivity? Why is it causing so many issues outside the ability of accessing housing in this country? And I'm talking about housing across the country not just in Victoria, where I'm broadcasting from, but across the country. Well, increasing housing prices mean has, has fundamental consequences. What it means is that money that could be diverted into other areas of activity in society are diverted into housing. When people are paying 40 to 50% of their income to keep a roof over their heads, whether they have a mortgage, whether they're renting, what it means is there is less disposable income, there is less income to buy goods and services, there is less income to look after the community and provide you know, philanthropic uh, assistance. Less income. If all the income is hoovered into housing, you've got a problem. Then the other problem occurs is because if you've housing prices and rents are high, what you need is two people from that same household to be working full time in order to meet those repayments. It's all very easy when the interest rates are 3% and you've got a $700,000 mortgage. It's a little bit more difficult if it's 5% or 10%. 
And if you think interest rates are going to stay at 3% for the rest of eternity, think again. I mean, I lived for a period where I was paying 17.5% interest on a housing loan in the early 1980s. So this has a fundamental impact on children because of the insecurity which occurs when everybody's got to put their nose to the grindstone or to bring in the money to pay the bloody rent and mortgage. So that means you've got less time for family life, less time to enjoy family life. And everybody talks about a work-life balance. Well, we have a shit work-life balance in this country because of the high cost of housing, whether you're paying off a mortgage or whether you're paying rent. And let's not forget over 40% of Australians pay rent. So why have we found ourselves in this deplorable situation where you've got to walk over people sleeping on the streets in this country's major capital cities, although hundreds of millions of dollars have been diverted to look after the housing, in inverted commas, problem, where most of this money is sucked up by the very organisations that supposedly look after housing. Well, it's very simple. I was talking to a social worker whose you know, job is homelessness, housing people who are homeless. And she housed two people in one year in public housing, in over 55 public housing, over 55-year-old public housing. And the only reason she was able to do that is two people died, not because there was increased public housing stock. So what we've seen across the country, especially in Victoria, which is the worst offender, what we've seen is the wholesale privatisation of public housing. In the past... Public housing was designed to look after the needs of people, especially families and couples and single elderly people, who could not afford to enter the private housing market. In other words, in simple English, they couldn't afford to get the deposit to get on the uh, housing market, merry-go-round, and spend the next 40 to 50 years of their lives paying off a bloody mortgage. So... This is the issue. There is no competition in housing in this country. It is all privately driven. And it's privately driven to a significant degree by investors who, because of taxation advantages, can invest in housing and claim losses, negative gearing, as a tax deduction. And you've got people with 30 or 40 houses all negatively gearing, paying minimal taxation. Now, I know the government will tell you is most people only own one home, which is negatively geared, but you've got to look at the totality. So we do have a housing crisis, and it has a profound impact. And I'm just talking about people who are homeless. I'm not just talking about people who are paying 40 to 50% of their income to keep a roof over their heads. I'm not talking about all those people on social security benefits who've got very little left if they don't own their own home at the end of the at the end of the week to buy food. I'm not even looking at that. I'm looking at the wider picture about how it's a ball and chain on 
this society. High housing profits are a ball and chain. They are a ball and chain on society. They prevent society from developing. They prevent individuals and families from enjoying life. It is a disease worse than the current COVID-19 pandemic. The COVID-19 pandemic will come under control with mass vaccination. But the housing crisis will not come under control unless we start looking at alternatives. And once again, I am not talking about blood in the streets, violent revolution. All I'm talking about is the ability of people to access housing. So let's look look at some capitalist principles. Let's not talk about radical change. Let's just talk about minor reform. This is the type of shit other people should be talking about, but nobody seems to be talking about in 2021. They're all too busy getting on the privatisation of public housing bandwagon and building up their little organisations and fattening up their little salaries as they attempt to find accommodation for people. Let's go back to basics. In our society, anybody who can't buy a home should be able to apply for public housing and should be able to be housed in a relatively short period of time, one to two years, not 25 or 30 or 40 years. If you think I'm joking, I'm not joking when I say 25 years waiting lists. So how do we do this? It's all very well for me to carry on about this, but how do we do this? How do we ensure that there is adequate housing? Well, one very simple way is to increase public housing stock. Joe, how can we finance it? How can we finance it? Well, I'm not going to talk about corporate welfare and the billions of dollars which goes into the pockets of unaccountable corporations in this country. I'm not going to talk about the tax minimisation, the tax evasion industry in this country. I'm not going to talk about, you know, plucking money from money trees in the backyard, which the current uh, economic crisis is built on, you know, was it qualitative or quantitative Quantitative easing, you know, where you just click your finger and there's a few billion dollars to give to the private banks to lend to mugs like you and me to get on with our lives. No. Why don't we, and this is a very radical concept, why don't we as a society earmark, that's right, earmark, you know what I'm going to say, tax. What do you do when you buy a home? What do you do when you buy a home? You pay stamp duty. Around the country, apart from the ACT, where it's been incorporated in a land tax system, people pay stamp duty for the privilege of buying a home. 
and in some cases just for a modest three-bedroom home in an outer suburb, which costs anywhere between 800000 to a million dollars, people are paying up to eighty to $90,000 in stamp duty. And what does the government, the state governments, do with this stamp duty revenue? They use it for everything except public housing. And in Victoria, and I'm familiar with the figures, under the current arrangements, the, the state government will pocket between 6 to $7 billion in stamp duty revenue, stamp duty which is exercised on the purchase of new homes. That's a lot of money. I'm not talking about millions. I'm talking about billions, a thousand million. I'm talking about, let's say, $6,500 million. Now, if this was quarantined, if this was quarantined for public housing, you could house 100,000 Victorians within a year. And you don't have to go on some huge building program, huge public-private partnerships where the public housing units are down the road, you know, in the worst part of the complex, and you get 10% of the units and the rest, you know, the other 90%, you know, are privately owned and privately, you know, managed. And where private organisations don't get public land for nothing, for a spot purchasing program, spot purchase. So what happens as the number of public houses increase? You not only house people, but you house people on a percentage basis, on a percentage of income. So they pay 25% of their income towards the rent towards the roof over their heads, not 40, 50, 60, 70% if you're on a disability support pension. And I won't talk about the new start allowance. You know, you house people. But not only do you house people, it gets better. It's like those advertisements you see on TV about, you know, steak knives. It gets better. We throw in this and we throw in that. Well, I've been involved in a campaign which is called public housing, everybody's business. And I'll tell you, because people think public housing is just for people who are down and out and can't afford a roof over their heads. They're not. Public housing is for everybody. It's everybody's business. 25% rent. What happens? Has the number of public housing units and homes increased for a spot purchasing program? You've got it. Private investors get worried because the number of people who need to rent privately decreases. As the number of people decreases who want to rent privately, rents fall. That's right. Rents fall in a capitalist society. And if you're an investor and rents fall at the lower end of the market, housing prices fall. The amount of mortgage you've got to pay for a roof over your head falls. And most importantly of all, as the public housing stocks increase, revenue, expenditure increases in the community because people have more disposable income. And what do people who are on Social Security benefits and low wages do with their disposable income? No, they don't buy an investment property. What they do 
is spend it. Spend it on necessities. Spend it on a few little luxuries. They spend it. And that helps small business. So it's a win-win situation. But nobody speaks about it. Nobody speaks about quarantining stamp duty revenue from real estate for public housing. Nobody speaks about it. All the usual suspects who we would have stood shoulder to shoulder with in this public housing struggle have disappeared. They're more concerned about their government grants, their ability to take over public housing stocks and manage them for the government, their ability to use government money to create privately owned homes which they somehow supposedly rent out to the desperate and the poor. How ridiculous. So there's nobody out there fighting for public housing except us, except a few deluded reformists and radicals in society. If you are interested in the public housing struggle, we will be restarting our public housing everybody's business vigils on the steps of the Victorian Parliament House within the next two weeks once the COVID-19 threat has decreased in Victoria. And we will be, and if you're interested, you can go to a number of Facebook pages, Public Housing Everybody's Business or Defend and Extend Public Housing. Because with state elections coming and going and with the states and the federal parliament government being involved in uh, housing, with elections coming up, we need to put public housing at the fore and front of any state-based or federal campaign. Now, Mr Frydenberg, our wonderful treasurer, will tell you the Commonwealth Government puts billions, millions of dollars into public housing, into a housing. Well, what they do is they provide a rent subsidy for people on social security benefit. All the rent subsidy does is increase rents. So it's a gift to the investment class. It's a gift to the investment class. So think about it. If there are simple solutions to complex problems, why don't we look at those simple solutions? Why don't we look at them seriously? Now, I know people will say to me, well, if all the stamp duty revenue, which is raised from putting a tax on buying a house, goes to public housing, what happens to the $6 billion black hole? When I look at the state expenditure and Commonwealth expenditure on useless shit and corporate welfare, I think to myself, it's a matter of political will. And why is there no political will? Because Australians don't see this as an issue. People are not joining the dots. There should be public housing activists in every corner of this country, in every village, in every town, in every regional city, in every capital city, in every suburb. Because that's how the public housing ball began rolling at the end of the Second World War when we had returned servicemen and women living in tent cities in the MCG in Victoria and the Botanic Gardens 
and the push came from below, men and women saying, we've put our life on the line for this country and you can't even provide a bloody roof over our heads. It's the same thing today. Every day, every day, people do the right thing in this country. And those people who do the right thing, who pay their taxes, obey the laws, are treated as garbage. And those people that have disposable income and become part of the investment class are treated as demigods. And that 1% of the population that owns the means of production, distribution, exchange and communication are treated as gods. And if you think I'm exaggerating, look at the world around you. Look at your life. Look at the life of your children and your grandchildren, if you have any. Look at the life of your community. Look at how it's all structured in order to increase profits and the power of a minority at the expense of a society and communities across this country. You listen to The Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia via the Community Radio Network. My name's Joseph Toscone, hosting today's program. Just a short reminder, if you enjoy listening to The Anarchist World this week, if you enjoy listening to analysis you'll never hear anywhere else, it's important that uh, you help us stay on air. Well, it's not important, but if you'd like us to stay on air, you know, this is a great time to donate to the Community Radio 3CR Radiophone, as I said at the beginning of the program. Last week we were involved in a Radiophone campaign here in uh, Victoria for Community Radio 3CR. Obviously this program goes to many radio stations across the country, so if you are in a position to donate to keep the Anarchist World this week on air, well then I encourage you to ring 039 four one nine eight three double seven and if you do pay taxes well you can get a legal legitimate tax deduction by donating to the three CR radio fund. You can always go to three cr.org.au forward slash donate because remember we broadcast from a community radio station and the community radio station I broadcast from which is three CR in Melbourne which has been in existence since nineteen seventy six broadcasts because of the community. We are not reliant on government grants. We are not reliant on corporate donations. We are not relying on advertising. We rely on you. Now, let's move on. Now, the nominations have opened for the Eureka Australia medals. Now, those of you who've kind of, kind of vomited into your cornflakes, I've used a lot of vomit phrases today, but that's the way I feel, if you vomited into your cornflakes when you looked at all those people who received uh, Queen Lizzie honours lists, you know, and, and the Invasion Day honours lists, well, this is your chance to get back at them. The Anarchist Media Institute, through the, radical spirit of the, reclaim, through the Reclaim, the Radical Spirit of the Eureka celebrations, which will be held in Ballarat on the 3rd of December, which isn't very far away, has a Eureka Australia medals. On that day at Bakery Hill, which is the site where the Eureka Oath was taken, we swear by the Southern Cross to stand truly by each other and fight to defend our rights and liberties. We uh, give out six Eureka Australia medals every year. Last year we only gave out one because of the COVID-19 restrictions and the, and the difficulty of uh, 
getting together, but we'll be giving out six Australia medals. And these are for activists who have donated their time, money, heart and soul to the struggle to share power and share wealth in our society. And there are many people in this society, many people listening to this radio program, many people listening to this podcast, who have put their body and soul and money into the struggle to devolve power and share wealth. And you'll never see their names, never, on the Invasion Day honours list. And you will never see their name on the Queen Lizzie's birthday honours list because they are considered to be marginals. They're derided, they're ostracised, they're pushed aside and even when they win their battles, they are not honoured, they are forgotten as the pioneers of that struggle. And I see this over and over and over again in our society. So if you know somebody who you think should receive a Eureka Australia medal, which will be presented to them personally around 10am on December the 3rd at Ballarat, at Bakery Hill, where the Eureka Oath was taken, I encourage you to nominate them. Now, we don't take telephone nominations. What we like is nominations in writing. You can do it via the web, just a paragraph about why somebody should get a Eureka Medal. We need a contact no, we need a contact phone number or email address so we can contact the individual in case they are shortlisted for the Eureka Australia Medal. So what I encourage you to do is you can either you can do it in a number of ways. You can do it via social media. You can email us at info at anarchistage at yahoo.com info at anarchistage at yahoo.com you can even write letters post office box 20 parkville 3052 post office box 20 parkville 3052 you can also send nominations to info at pibci P-I-B-C-I dot net. Now, nominations normally close in early November, about the 10th of November, so you've got a few weeks to think about it. I'm sure you know somebody who's done the hard yards but never received the accolades and the respect they deserve for doing all that pioneering work to change society. You don't have to be 106 to receive the, the Australia Eureka Australia Medal, you, you find that sometimes some young activists have devoted hours, days, weeks of their lives to pursuing particular struggles and they should be honoured in order to encourage them to continue uh, being involved in those struggles. So once again, Eureka Australia Medal nominations are open. We are looking for six people who are worthy of this medal. Uh, this was set up in 2005 
as a reaction to the crap in the majority of cases that you see, especially in the higher orders, in the Invasion Day and Queen Lizzie's Birthday's honours list. Obviously, there are many people on those honours list who deserve their honours because of the contribution they've made to the community. But when I see some of the names in the higher orders, again, I feel like vomiting into my wheat bix and I don't usually have breakfast, so I'll have to be vomiting into my coffee. So think about it. You know somebody. Don't be shy. Don't be shy. Because if you don't nominate them, nobody else will. And last but not least, Barnaby, Barnaby, Barnaby. Well, I love to live in Australia. It's good to see that Barnaby is the Deputy Prime Minister. What we've seen is a central Queensland coup. That's right. The National Party, previously the Country Party, poor old Blackjack McEwen, the grandfather of the old Country Party, would be spinning, not turning in his grave, when he sees people of the ability of Mr Barnaby becoming the leader of the National Party. But it's a brilliant political move because in central Queensland, where coal is a significant issue, these are the seats that won Mr Morrison the election. Brilliant move. Congratulations, Barnaby. One thing, Barnaby, you said you supported West Papua Independence. Well, I hope to see you this Sunday at the office at 838 in Docklands for a film showing of The Land of the Morning Star, a documentary produced by Mark Worth, who died in suspicious circumstances in 2004. This is a great documentary. 2pm, you're all invited. Become a member of the uh, West Papuan Rent Collective. Keep the West Papuan Rent uh, Collective office going be a fawn in the side of the Australian government and the Indonesian government. Support West Papua Independence. See you this Sunday on the 27th of June at 2pm at the West Papua office downstairs in the meeting room at 838 Collins Street, Docklands. Without your, support, without your continued support, we would never have this important office which has a profound impact on the struggle for West Papua independence. See you there this Sunday, 27th of June, 2pm, 838 Collins Street, Docklands, Melbourne. Thank you for listening to the Anarchist World this week on your local community radio station. And Barnaby, you claim you want West Papua's independence. Let's see if you come along to look at the Land of the Morning Star show. Thank you once again for listening to the Anarchist World this week on your local community radio station. Don't forget, the radio phone is on till the end of the month. Next week, Anarchist World this week, courtesy of the Community Radio Network on your local community radio station. Evil minds that plot destruction Sorcerer of death construction An analysis you'll never hear anywhere else. Anarchist World this week. Australia's Sacred Cow Slaughterhouse, 10am every Wednesday. Listen to the Anarchist World this week for an up-to-date analysis of local, national and international events. Poisoning their brainwashed minds. Oh, larger. 
So it's up to us, the people. We need a treaty in this country. We need the end to the war in this country. And the only way we can do that is through a peace treaty. Not the one you see in Victoria, not the one you see in Queensland, not the one you see in the Northern Territory, because they talk treaty and still lock our people up. They still kill our people. They still desecrate our land and our water. A treaty means peace. A treaty means equality. And a treaty means justice. Thank you. Subscribe to 3CR in 2021. Feed Radical Radio. Subscribe today. Go to 3cr.org.au forward slash subscribe or call the station on 9419 You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.